Hello, this is Jane Gunn, the corporate peacemaker and author of How to Beat Bedlam in the Boardroom and Boredom in the Bedroom. And this podcast is about how we can gain a better understanding of some of the aspects of conflict to help us lead happier and more productive lives. Well, I'm really excited this afternoon, and it's this morning for Greg to be speaking with Greg Richardson, um, who's otherwise known as the Strategic Monk. And Greg is a leadership coach and spiritual director. And Greg is also a recovering lawyer, as am I, and a university professor. So, Greg, tell us a little bit about you and how you would come to be doing what you are now, and in particular, how you come by the title of Strategic Monk. Well, I was raised in many ways by my family and education and my church to be a person who accomplished things, who got things done, and essentially who went out and found the right answers. Uh And that made me, um, and that I guess contributed to some of the gifts and skills I already had, I became a very strategic person. I was the kind of person that if you needed to get something done, I was the person to come to. Um, I, I, that shaped me quite a bit and it shaped the choices I made and it shaped a lot of the things that I did for work. And then finally, at one point I got to a place where I realized that it was not only that I did not do the things I wanted to do, I did not even really think about what I wanted to do very much. It wasn't even a factor for me. Mm. And, um, then I decided that that was something that I wanted to do. And so I started making some changes in my life and changed quite a bit actually. And that is part of an overall process that really has moved me from being a very strategic, very nuts and bolts, pragmatic kind of person Mm. to someone who's much more involved in some contemplative practices, much more connected to monastic communities and actually a particular monastic community. And so I'd say the overall if my life has an overall arch, it goes from being very strategic to being I mean, much more monastic, much more contemplative. So that sort of summarizes a lot of the things that I've done. So moving much more into the spiritual side of, of life and problem solving then. Yes. yes. Yeah. So more, more asking the right questions, I think, in some ways than finding the right answers. And you talk about, uh, on your website, Greg, spiritual conversation and listening. Uh, what, what do you mean by that? When I meet with someone as a spiritual director, a lot of what I do is really listening to what they say. They tell me their story. They tell me what's been happening with them. They tell me their experience um, of their spiritual life in a lot of ways. And I listen to them. I look for sort of key themes or key mileposts along the way that I can ask them about and get them to pay attention to, often in ways that they've never really even seen or considered themselves. So what, I mean, you've been described as a, gr- as a great listener, but what are, you, what are you really listening for? What are you, what is the, what's the key that you're looking for? That's a good question. I used to be a very good cross-examiner. Ah, yes. <laughs> Uh, true legal sense. I would look for the weaknesses or look for the places that didn't match up very well and use them to either discredit someone or build up what they were saying. Or uh, it was more of a game in a lot of ways for me. Mm. Now I'm. I think I'm a more. uh, I listen on a deeper level. I listen to 
not only what people are saying, but the kinds of things that it says about them, the yeah. kinds of things that they may not even realize themselves, mm. but the, the truths that, are, that underlie a lot of the things that they're talking about. So, Greg, what kinds of, you know, I, I focus on conflicts, and I wonder what kind of spiritual conflicts people come to you with, or either you discover within people when you start doing the deep, deep listening that you do. Yeah. It's interesting. A lot, for a while, while I was practicing law, uh, a lot of what I did was um, both sort of legislative work and trying to get particular pieces of legislation passed or implemented. And then I also worked on establishing some programs, and some of those programs were essentially conflict resolution programs, oh. uh, mediation programs. Yes. So that, in some ways, that's where I started learning more about the depth that listening can have. Mm. Um, as a spiritual director, I think a lot of times people... I think often people have a conflict with themselves between what they think they are supposed to do and what really deep down they really are drawn to do or what they really want to do. Um, they have a, there are a lot of things that people have heard or a lot of things that people have learned or people have assumed that those are the things that they really are expected to do. Um, and often there's a conflict between that and that level of expectation and often a sense of guilt or anxiety about not meeting those expectations mm. and the kind of person that they really, deep down, know themselves to be. So when you talk about deep listening, you're actually wanting people to go deeper and listen to themselves, to what's going on in their own heart. Would that be right? Definitely, definitely. Yes. And is that is that a real challenge for most people? I mean, I, I guess that going inside is a place many of us don't go, really. It is a challenge. I think a lot of people do not really have a lot of experience doing that. Mm. I don't think, at least here in the United States, here in California, there isn't really a lot of opportunity to do that. We're sort of surrounded by things that make noise, things that make sounds. There's not a lot of silence. There's not a lot of solitude. Mm. Um, and people are really anxious about that. People get really afraid of that. So, and do you encourage that with people for them to, to begin to experience silence? I mean, we find in mediation that silence is actually a very powerful thing. Y yes. Yeah, I think it is very powerful. And I think um, for many people... Some of the people I work with, silence is a real opportunity for them. Uh, for other people, it's more—it's a slightly more distant goal for them. They need to take some time off, even if it's just a day a week, to rest and to um, get a sense of calm or sort of be centered. Yeah. And the silence will come eventually. They really haven't—they're not—I guess they're not anywhere near that, and they really need to move in that direction. Uh, and why do you think, Greg, that people are so afraid of of doing these things, of taking time to be silent and getting to know themselves? Hmm. That's a really good question. I think that a lot of people, it's something brand new, something they haven't really thought about before. And so it's a new and potentially sort of scary experience for them. Hmm. I think it can be really intimidating. Um, I also think that... We are often sort of used to functioning at a certain level in our lives. We we know what's expected to us. We know, you know, we sort of feel safe and secure at that level. And to go deeper than that 
can be very challenging. And, and it's interesting, really, because the level at which people are performing is that strategic level in a way. And I love the way that you've linked the the monastic, the spiritual side with the strategic, because we still have to be part of the real world and get out there and do things and be part of it. But you're saying that we can have both sides of our, ourselves operating at the same time. Exactly, exactly. Yes. I- yeah, I actually, I have a connection to a monastery here in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made a commitment to them, and they've made some commitments to me. And and it's, it's really interesting to me as I've learned more about both Benedictine spirituality and monasteries in general. The largest number of people that are connected to a monastery today are people who are outside the monastery in what we would call the world. They've made some sort of connection. They've, made, they've agreed to follow certain guidelines or follow a rule of life. Um, the number of people who are actually monks or nuns in enclosed communities is much smaller than the people who are in relationship to them out in the world. And what sort of guidelines would people need to follow to, to, to do that kind of thing, Greg? Sure. Uh, each each monastery and, and definitely each order is, is a little different. The monastery I am connected to uh, has a pretty clear set of guidelines that they ask people to follow. I do some of the things that the monks do in the monastery, but I've got a lot, a little bit more flexibility than they do. Yes. Uh, I you know I, I agree to um, there. Are, gosh, I gotta remember what that they. I, <laughs> I agree to, there are certain points in each day when I spend time in silence and spend time praying. There are other, there, I, um, there's a service and work, um, worship sort of guidelines, things like that. Commitments that I make that I won't let too much time go by without following some of these practices. And so when you talk about service, Greg, is that service outside in the world? So service in the community that you're already in? Yes, definitely, definitely. Yes, yes. And I think that's something that many more of us need to, to to connect with, I guess, really, is the idea of serving each other or even collaborating with each other rather than being in competition with everybody else. Yes, I think that's true. I think one of the real challenges, um, I don't know if it's a challenge or the opportunity that's uh, is becoming much larger in the world that we're heading into is that it's, 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 not a, it's not a separation between strategic and monastic. It's not a separation between activists and contemplatives. Mm-hmm. It's finding ways to encompass both of those, both of those ends of the spectrum, I guess, into a balanced approach so that people can become strategic monks or monastics. They can become activists, contemplatives, that they combine and draw strength from both of those ends of the spectrum and all the points in between. I love that idea because we've been looking very much in our mediation program at what a master mediator might be. And it, it embraces many of the things we're talking about. In other words, you need to be have a deep understanding of yourself rather than just of processes and skills that you can use. Uh, and it is about understanding this kind of biphasic nature that you can have in being being able to hold two characteristics that might be appear to be in conflict with each other, actually hold them together and and use both in complementary ways. Exactly, exactly. Uh, fantastic. So why do you think, uh, Greg, that people are so reluctant to embrace some of these things today? 
I think that we are used to um, approaching life in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And we, once somebody starts questioning those, things get more threatening and more confusing. And so it takes people a while. They need to spend the time to think about that and sort that out and think that through. And even that is a challenge for a lot of people. They just don't have the time to do that. And so they just keep going the way they've been going all along. And so often it gets to a point where if someone is actually going to consider that and reflect on that and think that through – they almost need to get to a point of crisis or a point where they have no other alternative. They have to think about that. They're constrained. And so that's why it often becomes fairly intimidating because people think that they, they need to get to this point and then, then, then they can sort some of, this, some of these things through. Um, it's really, it's in many ways, really challenging to do day by day without that sort of motivating event or that sparking. Yes. So most people who come to you or find these answers have had some kind of catalyst which has prompted them to to do this work. There's definitely at least a sense of discomfort or frustration. Yeah. Or Some people are at a point in their lives where they've accomplished the things they've set out to do and they, they don't really know how to sort out what to do next. Mm. And so it, it isn't necessarily... Uh, a traumatic event or a crisis, but there's definitely they're grappling with something and they don't really know how to get their hands on it. They don't really know how to wrap their mind around what how they're supposed to figure out what to do. And I think in these really difficult times that we're living in now in the U.S. Uh, and in Europe, there must be many, many people who who feel that need somewhere deep inside. Yes, definitely, definitely. So, Greg, um, we will need to wrap up soon because we're, as always, too short of time. But I, I wonder, having described this this way of of working and getting deeper with ourselves and the work that you do, if you have some tips, some guidance for anybody listening who would be interested to take the next step or even curious to know a little bit more, what would you suggest they they do to find out more? I, well, they can always contact me, um, and I would be glad to talk to them directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but I think that really what's what's important is to it's what you talked about in terms of mediation. You need to know yourself. You need to know your true self, mm-hmm. and uh, getting a sense of what your real real core values are, what the values are that you've had perhaps your whole life. Yes. Uh, and those sort of often fit together in a fairly clear vision of where where you really want to go, and then sorting out some specific steps to take to move into that vision is a real basic description of the kind of process I work through with people that I, I talk to. And I know, Greg, that in the Mediation Mastery uh, class that we do, we talk about it as a journey. It isn't a destination as such. It's going to be an ongoing process. Would you say that that your work is the same? Definitely. Absolutely. So you're inviting people to take the first steps, perhaps in the journey to spiritual knowing and understanding. Yes. And often the first step is the most challenging one, because once the process begins, then things start moving forward, things start happening. Brilliant. So, Greg, if anybody is interested in contacting you, uh, I know that you can be found on Twitter 
Um, do you have a website address? Absolutely. My website is uh, strategicmonk.com. Yes. Brilliant. Greg, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed it and um, inspired, and I, I'm sure other people will be too. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you.